Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 67, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Today, we got a doozy of a guest for you guys. So Ben will be joining me for our conversation with him in a second, but let me introduce him. He is the Roto World Senior Football Editor, Evan Silva, at Evan Silva on Twitter. He's got some things to say about the Eagles, the Eagles coaching staff. We talk about some divisional round football. We give some fantasy advice. We touch on a range of topics. So I'm going to stop babbling on. Let's kick it to that conversation with Evan Silva right now. Evan, welcome into the Kist and Solak show. This was a long time coming. How you doing, brother? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. I'm uh, getting ready for these divisional round games. I thought it was a pretty exciting wild card weekend. A lot of close games. And, uh, you know, the, the Eagles obviously played in one of them. Probably the most exciting game of them all. Yeah. Probably the most sur- surprising based on the spread. I mean, they were the biggest underdogs. They were able to get the job done. Definitely with some good fortune. They had a lot of good fortune in the second half of the season, but it kind of leveled off because they had a lot of bad fortune early right. in the season, um, kind of snuck into the playoffs, but Hey, you know, they're, they're, they're getting the job done. Yeah. And we kind of talk about that throughout this show, bad luck versus good luck. Sometimes the process is the same and the results are different. So you have to suss out what is real and what isn't, but Evan, right up top, man, we'll deal with the elephant in the room. People are going to be thinking about that. If, if we don't, you were highly critical of Doug Peterson I believe it was after the Saints loss in week 11, right around that time, mm-hmm. you received a lot of pushback from the Eagles fan base, considering that Peterson has already won a Super Bowl. What's your opinion on the matter now? What And what has changed that opinion, if it has? Yeah, well, clearly, I mean, you know, in a, the bigger sample size, the coaching staff has been revealed to be like being have done a really good job. Yeah. You know, especially late in the season. And the progression of the Eagles season has been as interesting as any team because, of course, you know, their quarterback was coming off a double knee ligament tear and they had to begin the season with Nick Foles. But it, it was Nick Foles playing left handed because the impact of Alshon Jeffrey, Nick Foles playing with and without Alshon Jeffrey, it's, it's just been, it's, he's a totally different quarterback. The, the passing splits throwing to Alshon Jeffrey are massive. He has completed 75% of his passes when targeting Alshon Jeffrey over the past two seasons, including playoffs, 67% to everyone else. 11.3 yards per attempt to Alshon Jeffrey, 6.5 yards per attempt to everyone else. 7.5% touchdown rate, 7.5% touchdown rate throwing to Alshon Jeffrey, 4% touchdown rate to everyone else. So Alshon, you know, Nick Foles without Alshon, we we don't want to see that. And that's what he was (laughs) in the first two games. And I mean, honestly, like they were kind of fortunate to come out of that one and one, all things Mm -hmm. considered. They went, 
Yeah, exactly. They went exactly as the coin flips would go. They went one and one in two one score games to begin the season. But during that time, you know, they had significant role player losses that would, you know, bleed into the rest of the season because they opened the year counting on Mike Wallace to play a key role. They opened the season kind of counting on um, Darren Sproles to play a big role. And they lost both of those guys to, you know, Mike Wallace to what amounted to a season ending injury and Darren Sproles to a, a, an injury that, you know, cost him half the season. And those were big. Jay Ajayi initially got banged up during that time. It became kind of clear early that Corey Clement was maybe not going to take a step, you know, and build off that Super Bowl performance. Yeah. And so they kind of spent like the first half of the season kind of trying to figure themselves out, kind of trying yeah. to figure themselves out again. They were clearly missing this vertical element from their offense. If you look at just Carson Wentz's rate stats, I mean, he had a better completion rate. He had a better yards per attempt. He had a better passer rating, everything than even last mm-hmm. season when he was in the MVP discussion. But they were still clearly missing something. And so after that, that uh, the one score win over the Jags in London, um, they went into their bye week. You know, I think the the front office kind of sat down and was like, we need to add something here. And I completely agree with them. I think that they would have preferred a guy like Robbie Anderson if they could. But the Jets might have been asking an exorbitant amount for Robbie Anderson, like maybe even a first round pick. Like, I don't even think that that's crazy to think that the Jets would have been asking for a first round pick for Robbie Anderson. He, of course, would have made a lot of sense in the vertical role. He played a temple, you know, he he would have checked a lot of boxes for the Eagles. But I think the asking price would have been exorbitant. They were able to get Golden Tate for a third round pick. It kind of like put the coaching staff, you know, with the benefit of hindsight now, it put the the coaching staff into a difficult position because they weren't going to rip Nelson Aguilar off the field. Right. You know, they they have been through hell and back with Nelson Aguilar, and he is like a shining example of good things that the coaching staff has done. Yeah. Um, you know, since it got there. They worked hard with him. He went and saw a sports psychologist. They're not going to rip him off the field. That wasn't a consideration. So what did they have to do to get this new acquisition on the field? They had to scale back Dallas Goddard. Yeah. They started using less 12 personnel. They started doing things that were like suboptimal, I think. You know, it, it began with the, um, the, the collapse in, in Carolina, I think, in week seven. And then, you know, they beat the Jags by one score in London. Um, which, I mean, they were clearly the better team in that game, but it still wound up being a one-score game, and those over time are a coin flip. Then they had their bye. And, you know, I was definitely a believer that they were going to get things turned around in the second half of the season. They were going to explode out of that, that out of their bye. And they were facing this Cowboys team at the time that was – it seemed like they were dead. There were calls for Scott Linehan's head, Garrett's head, all of that. They were dead in the water by a yes. lot of accounts, yeah. yes. And, you know, the NFL is very much uh, a season where, like, there's a a major event, you know, there's a game, and then there's six days to analyze it. And, you know, it all it all settles in and there's another major event, you know, and then it it plateaus again. And then there's another major event. The next major event was an embarrassing 48 to 7 loss at the Superdome where they were not they were not even competitive. Yeah. Then they they were they beat the Giants by three, another one score game. They took care of the skins with uh, Mark Sanchez, uh, but they were they were losing early in that game. 
And that's when it kind of, I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> because they, they, I thought that they were not doing optimal things with their offense. Um, you saw Frank Reich, you know, having a lot of success in Indianapolis. The, the Colts were really getting going. And I mean, I, I started to question like, you know, is the coaching staff doing what's good here? And of course, they they had dealt with a lot of obstacles, no question, especially on defense. Yeah. Um. You know, they lost their you know, four fifths of their their nickel package on defense. But yeah, I mean, I think that at the time it was fair to question what the heck is going on with this coaching staff. I I probably went overboard. <laughs> but I mean, look, they they made. But then what you wanted to see was like improvement. Right. And I think that Ben. Ben did a great job of outlining the improvements that they made in his article oh, thanks, on, ble- on Bleeding Greed Nation. You know, they went back to 12 personnel. They kind of, for a little bit, took an L on the Golden Tate trade. And and I think that, we'll talk about this in a minute, but I think they kind of took an L for a little bit on the Golden Tate trade. Yeah. You know, they dropped him back down and they pulled Dallas Goddard back up. And they also benefited from the early unfortunate outcomes in the one score games. Look, they've played 17 games this year. They played 13 one score games. I believe that's the most in the NFL. Yeah. Don't we know it? We feel that very viscerally. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of the best data points to use just from year to year is the teams, uh, a team's results in one score games to try to forecast over and unders on team win totals that's it's, it's one of the best data points you want to use it in conjunction with other data points like injury rate and you know wh- whatever personnel additions etc et but w- that's one of the best data points to use we have so many one score games in this season sample that you know it's almost like two seasons and they began two and four in their first six one score games and they've gone five and two in their mm-hmm. last seven one-score games. So regression to the mean has kind of caught up to them, and they've done things that, that has helped that regression to the mean uh, in terms of coaching staff adjustments. And, I mean, they, they've clearly proven to be, you know, a, a strong coaching staff um, when, when all has been said and done. With, with you know, with, with a 17-game sample, you can feel confident about the coaching staff going forward. Boom. Love to hear it, Ben. Do you want to follow up on anything that uh, Evan said there? Because I know you're you're. We have pounded the table so much, and I and I know uh, Evan, your friend Warren Sharp has well about twelve personnel with the Eagles. How successful it was, and I agree. They took a step back with Golden Tate, used more twelve personnel. That's what really got their offense going. But then Ben in the playoffs, they go back to eleven. Right. It feels like this offense is more, and we're going to use the magic word here, integrated now. Do you agree with his assessment there as far as the first half of the season and then after the the change? No, I uh, I very much agree with how Evan broke it down. And I feel maybe this is just just me pumping us up. But I was thinking to myself like, oh, wow, like Evan sounds like a good Kiss and Solak show listener, I feel like. You know <laughs> what I mean? In terms of like kind of mapping out kind of what happened in the back half of the season. Our buzzword for the first half of the season, Evan, was this team is like two plays away, like that two and four stretch of losing those those games. You know, uh, Jim Schwartz had this practice of just constantly saying the Eagles record during press conferences, which was really (laughs) annoying. But the other thing that was happening was Peterson would get questions and he would say, listen, fourth and 15, fourth and 10, uh, referring to the uh, Titans game and to the Panthers game where they had the lead on all drives and they had forced a fourth and 15 and fourth and 10 and then proceeded to give it up and, and eventually lose both those games. You know, this team was, was a, a, a single play away multiple times in multiple games. 
And then when we got to the second half of the season, okay, we're coming out of the bye. We can see how we can get into the playoffs. The division isn't super strong, and we have Golden Tate. Let's see what happens here. That's when, yeah, things went bass-ackwards. That's when all of a sudden they started moving out of their effective personnel packages into less effective personnel packages. They started forcing the ball. Golden Tate as a target that he didn't necessarily warrant yet as a part of the offense. Nelson Aguilar was not getting the targets he was getting because Golden Tate had taken his role. And everything had gotten kind of wonky in the time of the integration. And that's where we were really thinking – Man, Mike Groh is an ex-wide receiver coach. He's now the <laughs> offensive coordinator. Like, what? Mm-hmm. When you go and you go get yourself a wide receiver, you really expect that to be the, the guy that this offensive coordinator should be able to handle. And that week 10, week 11 time was when I think we were really wondering, you know, what's Groh bringing to this uh, meeting of the minds, right? This, like, mental mm-hmm. pool here. And obviously there's the questions about Doug that are going to arise. It's easy to pick on play calling. I mean, that Cowboys game that you brought up, Philadelphia had a, a third and two and long field goal range in a one score game. And they ran a screen and boy, if we have a complaint <laughs> about Doug, it's his love of screens and field goal range. Cause here's the thing about screens, and field goal range. They don't work. You ain't in field goal range anymore, baby. And so there's absolutely stuff you can point to where it feels like Doug, the play caller, got a little too ahead of himself. You know, you wonder uh, the red zone deep offense and the third the third down offense both regressed in the season. Obviously, those uh, are attributed to a lot of randomness. But last year, we know that John Filippo was a big part of both of those two situational offenses. He's gone. Who's replaced his role? So on and so forth. But I think the big thing to circle is absolutely they 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 decided to swallow the pill on the Golden Tate trade in week 14. Game that they almost won, a game where Carson had one of his weaker performances. They clawed their way back. They couldn't buy a stop on defense. Devontae Bosby, Sidney Jones with no hamstrings getting burned by Amari Cooper. A game where they really they played well in the second half. They just didn't pull it out. That was a game where previously Golden Tate had seen 36 snaps, 39 snaps, 36 snaps. Then he went down to 20. He had seen 28 routes, 24 routes, 26 routes. He went down to 11. And meanwhile, Dallas Goddard, who had seen 10, 10, and 11 routes, went up to 21. That was the game where really Mm -hmm. you saw them say, listen, we're going to put out the people who have been effective this Mm -hmm. year. And even if that makes the trade look stupid, listen, where our backs are up against the wall. And while it didn't translate immediately on week 14, week 15 it started to. They ran the football very effectively against the Rams out of 12 personnel. Week 16, they threw it very effectively against the Texans in 12 personnel. 17, obviously, the Redskins game. And then you have 11 against the Bears. But as we talked about in the preview shows and in the postgame shows, 11 was the matchup against the Bears. There's a reason nobody ran 12 against the Bears, especially once Bryce Callahan's slot corner went down. Well, you were putting out their safety four, their corner four, against Nelson Aguilar, Golden Tate. That was a great situation for Philadelphia. They got the man coverage they wanted in 11 personnel. So that's where coaching wins is because you've seen 12 personnel be effective for the past three weeks. It saved your season. You get into the playoffs and you're able to step away from it and go back to a personnel that didn't work as well because you know that you've done the film work and you know the matchup's going to work for you. So to me, that's a testament to the offensive coaching staff. Maybe even Mike Grove, if we want to give him a little bit of love, getting better <laughs> and, and improving in terms of how they're game planning and how they understand their offense. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's a lot to ask just period of any wide receiver you know, hey, transitioning teams in the offseason. How many times have we seen free agent wide receivers struggle in their first year with a new team? So think about force like that's a big thing in fantasy football. Like you you want to put up like a red flag when you see a wide receiver changing teams in the offseason. There's a higher risk of them busting with their new teams, especially in that first season. They're asking a wide receiver to incorporate into a new offense 
on the fly during the season. And it's worth noting, if I may, that the Eagles' yeah. offense and their routes are very option and alert-based. Very frequently, especially out of the slot, you've got three, four different routes you can run against different coverages and different reads. So this ain't no cupcake walk. Like You have to be very, very in tune with the playbook and with the, your quarterback, the offense, to understand what they expect you to do. Yeah, and you mentioned in the wild card round, I love the point that you make about they, they identified – the, the personnel that they were going up against. You know, the Bears lost Bryce Callahan, one of the best slot corners in the league, in week 14 mm. to a broken foot. And, you know, hey, it took two months, but, like, they could finally feel comfortable about Golden Tate being a near full-time player in that game, using him as a matchup weapon. And now we have the divisional round where you look at the Saints. The Saints yep. are a little bit similar because – their outside corners are, are, are pretty solid. You know, Marshall Lattimore is great. Eli Apple has done very well for them. But you can beat up on their slot corner, especially with a guy like Golden Tate, who's, you know, quick in a short area. P.J. Williams is like a big, stiffer slot corner. He really shouldn't be playing slot corner. Yeah. But I think we're going to see them go back to Golden Tate a lot in the divisional round. And this dude might end up being a playoff hero. You know, after for for two plus months, him looking like a complete bust as a as a trade acquisition. Let's look forward on this and talk about this Saints matchup before we kind of take a wider view on the playoffs here. Evan, if the Eagles win, and I don't know your confidence level on this, there's a lot that has changed since the Eagles took a whooping at their low point in the season in that in that blowout loss. But what do you think needs to happen realistically for the Eagles? And do you believe in Nick Foles' magic? <laughs> um, <laughs> the worst I, question know, to be the, asked as an analyst. The, the Nick Foles' magic, I mean, maybe he's just good. Maybe he's just good. You know, another another thing, yeah. and you know, I'm 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 probably overcorrecting at this point, but another thing that the coaching staff has done well late in the season is be sure to get the ball out of Nick Foles' hands quickly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um weeks fifteen through eighteen, his his four starts, he has the quickest time to attempt in the NFL. Yep. At two point two two seconds. You know, Bill Walsh his magic number for the quarterback getting rid of the, of the football was two and a half seconds, 2.5 seconds. Nick Foles yep. getting it out in 2.2. So he's well below that that threshold set by Bill Walsh. And that's just not uh, a Foles thing. That started week 14 where you started to see the shift in the offense, where the offense was fairly <laughs> successful. They just never got a chance in overtime. But uh, Wentz was – for, for the, the last five weeks – the Eagles have been in the top five or the bottom five, you know, time to throw. They've been the quickest time to throw every single week since week mm-hmm. 14. And that has definitely not only helped Foles. It, Foles is really good at, at pre-snap processing and all that stuff. But then what it also does is it helps keep him upright and protect him. You see those pressure rates drop with it, too. Yeah, and they faced a lot of really good pass rush teams in that time frame. You know, obviously the Bears last week only gave up one sack and five hits against the Bears. That's well below their season averages. But it, it was, you know, right when they when they played the Rams, they're a good pass rush team. They got zero sacks and three hits yeah. on holes. And the next week it was, you know, J.J. Watt and uh, Jadavion Clowney and Whitney Merciless, one sack and four hits mm. against the Eagles. 
their worst game in terms of pass rush production allowed was against the Redskins, three sacks and six hits. The Redskins, I think, have a very underrated. I mean, they've got good personnel in terms of um, a bit, like good up front personnel. Ryan Kerrigan, uh, the two D linemen from Alabama, yep. Preston Smith, you know, they that's one of their very few strengths as a team. <laughs> but, you know, over this four four game stretch, I mean. And you, you combine that with having a very good offensive line, and it's like your quarterback is going to be clean. And, and they need to continue that against New Orleans, and I'm sure that they will. I think it's obvious that they will. The Saints finished top five in sacks. You know, they were top nine in quarterback hits. You know, they can beat you up the middle with Rankins and, and Anyamata and on the outside with Cameron Jordan and Marcus Davenport and uh, Alex Okafor, who has made an unbelievable return from a, from an Achilles injury. They they have a lot of dudes on the defensive line that can get after you. But the, the Eagles have this formula to where they can mitigate the impact of those guys. That that I think is, you know, one of the biggest keys to the game, being able to stay with that, being able to execute it on the field. And one of the reasons that I would feel a lot more optimistic uh, about this team certainly than when they lost 48-7 to to them. And they're also getting some of their defensive backs. They're getting that backfield stabilized now, which, which is an important thing. And we'll get we'll get into picks later on in the show, but here, here's the thing. Playoffs are in full gear. I love this time of year because you get all these excellent coaching staffs matching brain power. They've got a full regular season of tape plus to analyze and decide what their counter to the counterpunch of the counterpunch is going to be. This is where the coaches really get to shine as the talent gap narrows. And that's taking nothing away from the talent on the field. You get great matchups all over the field every game. There's high stakes, high drama, raucous crowds, legacies on the line. And as we inch closer to the Super Bowl, every play feels more important, more dire than the last one. So, Evan, before we get into the to the details of the specific matchups, is there a specific game this weekend, just from a matchup perspective, from a coaching perspective, that you're more looking forward to than all the others? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, certainly the, the game that we, we've been talking about. But yeah. um, the Cowboys against the Rams. Why is that exciting to you? Is that is that coaches? Is that personnel? Or do you think that the Cowboys have a real good shot at uh, upending them? I do. I do. Because I think that the Cowboys do things that, like, where they're strong, the Rams are weak. And then where the Rams are strong, the Cowboys are strong, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like the Rams, the Cowboys, I think, are good at stopping things that the Rams are good at doing. The Cowboys are good at doing things that the Rams are bad at stopping. And that begins with Ezekiel Elliott, because a staple of Wade Phillips, the Rams defensive coordinator, a staple of his philosophy over the years has been to be lax in run defense. You know, there are actually benefits to that. You encourage opponents to run the ball more against you. But I think that the Rams at times allowed that to get out of hand. There's a, a cliff drop point where you don't want to reach. And I think that the Rams at times reached that this year where you don't want to be so bad in run defense that it can like, you know, really affect, um, you know, maybe the score or, you know, t like just the number of plays that you get off or, or whatever. Yeah. And I think that the, the Rams are very much on that precipice and, Ezekiel Elliott is playing at such a high level and the Cowboys strength as an offensive line is not in pass protection. It's in run blocking. Um, and I think that there, there's a chance that they could just kick the Rams, butt. Uh, and then the Rams are the Rams, are, the Cowboys are really good in run defense. 
you know, they I think that they can slow down Todd Gurley and they mix coverages too. They can play, they're like right, like the, the Cowboys, they will end up playing a lot more zone, I think, in this game, but but they can mix coverages and you know, kind of get uh, Sean McVay and uh, and Jared Goff off their game because Sean McVay is like living vicariously through Jared Goff in, in terms of their their pre-snap calls. Mm-hmm. And you know, just late in the season, like the Rams made some some changes uh, to for their personnel packages that you know are I think are are concerning because like they they lost Cooper Cup and they've kind of been in a funk ever since then. And I think that it's not just because they lost Cooper Cup. I think it's for a lot of different reasons. But they've kind of been in a funk and they started to play more. Or 12 personnel. They don't have Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. They have Tyler Higby and Je- Gerald Everett. Yeah. You know, and, th- and they were fortunate to play the Cardinals and the 49ers uh, late in the year. And they, they took care of business against them. But, you know, hey, are they going to go back to the to the 11 personnel now? You know, because their 11 personnel really hasn't been that great with Josh Reynolds and Robert Woods in the slot. And defenses have kind of taken care of Brandon Cooks lately. So they're in like a, a state of bad transition a state of like downward trajectory, whereas, you know, the Eagles are kind of in a state of upward trajectory um, dealing with kind of similar issues. No, and I think that um, the Rams, I'm very interested to see what happens to McVay in this playoff game because I expected the Seahawks, the Seahawks were my like lock of the week over the Cowboys because I expected them to not be idiots. Yeah, um, but <laughs> I, and, and like and the Seahawks did what they've done all season. I don't dispute that. It's not like they like stopped. You know, like did something that they haven't done for 16 weeks. But you expect them when 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 things get dire to turn to their best player. And that's just right. something that just didn't happen over four quarters, which whatever. Now, looking at this Rams matchup, I definitely agree with Evan in the sense that this game fits what the Cowboys would like to play so much more so than the Seattle game in terms of their ability to confound the quarterback who's going to be in the backfield and then stop the run. And they're going to have the the personnel in the back end to rotate and to trap, so on and so forth, make Jared Goff hold on to the football. I don't know how much Cowboys pass rush is going to be able to affect Jared Goff. That's the big thing with Goff. Get pressure on Goff, get pressure on Goff. I think the Cowboys do have, obviously, Demarcus Lawrence, who's an elite rusher, probably going up against a, a very good to elite left tackle in Whitworth. And so it's going to, I'm going to be curious to see if golf gets to hang back there, somebody's going to open up. So it's going to be a question of that. Like you said, the transition to 12 personnel and having to run more two tight end sets, a little bit heavier boxes for Gurley and CJ Anderson, because you can't run the 11 personnel with Cooper cup is crucially important. And I agree. It's the question of how often is this Rams defense going to be able to force Prescott into throwing the football? Because that's really, if, if mm-hmm. you force and Dak's very clutch, we don't dispute that. But if Dak is in a situation where he's forced to keep pace, with an offense, he's going to struggle. That's where you're going to get his turnovers. You're, he's going to throw interceptions. He's going to make hasty decisions. The Cowboys definitely match up better against the Rams, though. And to me, that's just exciting because obviously Cowboys-Eagles would be a thrilling NFC Championship <laughs> game. But Cowboys-Saints would be super exciting as well. That's not going to happen. But it'd be super exciting as well. Rams, Rams-Saints, Rams-Eagles do, do, do have a good character to them. But I agree. I like, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, Mike and I, but like last week I I said, listen, Seahawks are going to beat the Cowboys. This week, I think the Cowboys coming into the game have an even better chance than I would have given them last week. And they won last week. So Cowboys Rams is a very, very tight one. Rams team definitely isn't what it has been for the entire season. Chris Richard against Sean McVay really excites me. And there's a reason that Chris Richard, the passing game coordinator for the defense of the Dallas Cowboys, also calling plays for them is being considered for head coaching jobs because of the job that he does. And we know this uh, very intimately 
as Eagles fans. We know the the combinations, the, the coverages that he can throw at you to really stifle your team. So the Cowboys are going to be very well prepared for the Rams. It's going to be interesting to see if the Rams can counter and get out of that funk because, like Evan alluded to, when they got out of the funk, it was against the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers. It wasn't against you know the Chicago Bears or, or even like a, a marginal defense. So, Evan, I'll throw this to you. I'll put it to you this way. There are four underdog teams this weekend. Eagles, dog, dog, dog to the Saints. Rams are favored over the Cowboys. Uh, not sure when the last time the Patriots weren't favorites in the playoffs. They take on the Chargers. And finally, Frank Wright gets a chance to plant his flag against the Chiefs. Of those four teams, which one would you say is the best to pull an upset? Is it the Cowboys like we've been talking about? Yeah, I think so. And I think that a lot of people believe that it might be the Colts over the Chiefs, which is interesting. I, I don't necessarily dispute that. I, I think it's it's interesting. The more that I've looked in the game, the, the less I've liked that. And the line movement has actually been toward the Chiefs, whereas it seems like the Colts are kind of like a public bet right now. And you kind of would, pre- would prefer, it's not always right, but you would kind of prefer to be on the side of the line movement as opposed to the public. But mm-hmm. I think that that is like, that game could be a massive shootout and a one and a one score game all in one. And yo, that, you know, that, that can, that can go either way. The Colts can score and the Colts have, have allowed 14 points per game over their last eight games. Now they've played no one during that stretch. You know, the, <laughs> the best offense that they faced during that stretch was the giants. But yo, you know their their zone defense is assignment sound. Yep, and they they got a lot of speed. You know, on the second level, um, they've got you know defensive backs that that you know can make some plays, and um, they're they're kind of like a sneaky, really complete team. People don't realize how well their defense is played. Again, they they faced the cupcake opponents, but you know you can only beat what's in front of you, and and they've definitely gotten the job done. You know, yeah, I think that if I was just rank the rank the divisional round upset chances, I think I would go with Cowboys first, mm-hmm. and then Colts second, and then Eagles third, and then Chargers fourth. Maybe the the thing about that Chiefs matchup, and this is something I'll, I'll throw back to you, is the fact that and we and we know this because we played the the Eagles played the Colts back in back in week three. And in preparation for that, we were watching against the Redskins, and the Redskins had a bad plan against the Colts, against that zone coverage defense that keeps everything in front. They were still trying to run all these vertical concepts. Well, the Colts took all those away, and the Redskins couldn't respond. I think Chris Thompson ended up with like 14 targets or catches that game, something to that effect. That was the Darius Leonard game where he had like 21 tackles because (laughs) they just threw sit routes the whole game, and Leonard just (laughs) rallied and hit and rallied and hit and rallied and hit and rallied and hit. So are the Chiefs going to be able to pass up on the deep ball? Is Mahomes going to be disciplined enough in the passing game to take what's there rather than try to force what's not? That's what's really fascinating to me in this one. That's where this game gets kind of wonky for me because we, I mean, we don't know what Patrick Mahomes is in the playoff right now. And we know he's a risky quarterback. So it's like super, super interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, the Colts are like a the NFL's most straight zone defense. Yeah. And uh, so I looked at Patrick Mahomes having faced straight zone defenses or the most straight zone defenses in the NFL, the the top eight played five games against uh, teams that rank in the top eight in terms of zone coverage frequency. Hmm. And he has 14 touchdowns and zero interceptions. Well, that might and, be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, he's thrown nine of his 12 interceptions against teams that rank in the top half 
in man coverage. Hmm. Now, now I have not broken down like what types of zone coverage, like cover three, cover two, cover four, things of that yeah, nature. Yeah, that and also like even the Colts play some man coverage. Right. You know, like no one is a hundred percent zone. You know, the the Colts, according to Sports Info Solutions, they play zone at seventy seven percent. So that means that they're still playing man at twenty three percent. And I'm trying to get. You know, look, we we can watch the games and everything like that, but I want like hard data on this stuff. And Keegan Abdu from, um, I believe he's with Next Gen Stats now. We love uh, Keegan over here. Love yeah. Keegan. Yep. Yeah, he he's the man, and uh, I I got him trying to work on that for me. So, um, <laughs> and and he's already started tweeting out some some stuff that I asked him to look up. So that's so funny. I bug Keegan all the time to do the same thing. He's a great resource. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he's he's great, and he he loves to do it. So it's cool. Are you ready for my analysis on uh, Chiefs Colts right here, Mike? You ready for this? Hard-hitting data analysis. Oh, boy. Hit me with it. Patrick Mahomes is 0-4 in primetime games. And yet, the NFL scheduled the Chargers uh, for primetime and put the Chiefs in the late afternoon slot because they want Mahomes to ascend to the uh, championship game against the Patriots for ratings. That's why they're going to win because <laughs> it's not a primetime game. He's 0-4 in primetime. To me, that's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything. I find it very curious. Yeah, I mean, the defense for the Chiefs, too. They give up a lot of points, Evan. Uh, not at home. Not at home, they don't. That's true. They give up over 30 points per game on the road and 18 points per game at home. And, and this trend extends back years. I mean, it's not that stark year over year. But entering this season, they gave up a, seven points more per game on the road than at home over the over the past three seasons, like 2015 through 2017. This year, it's been like a 12-point difference. Um, but, yo, like they, they also that, – that's also like we're, – again, we're dealing in very small sample sizes. Like it's crazy how small sample sizes we have to deal with. And this is why I get caught up saying <laughs> stupid things like Doug Peterson is a bad coach. Think about this. Just think about it. Think about it like this. We have – so 16 games are an hour apiece. 16 hours of actual on-field play – is what we are analyzing yeah. for a full season. 16 hours. That's it. That's like as much as we work as, you know, we work per day. Yeah. You know, per day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So so what I hear from Evan is move to like a 50 game season. We won't have any of these problems anymore. <laughs> all right. We don't have any issues. Just football year round. It would solve all the problems. Even then, it would still be 50 hours, and it would only be like a regular. Look, I can't handle that long of a season, but that that is an interesting point about the uh, about the Chiefs at home. Because if you think about it, I don't know if any of you guys have been to a game in Kansas City, but it is super loud. And D Ford has one of the best first steps for an edge rusher, and he's been super productive. And if you allow him and 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 Justin Houston and the rest of that defensive line Chris Jones if you allow them to kind of pick up on the snap tendencies cuz you have to go silent count if you can get them into a rhythm and keyed into the snap they could be super super effective even more so than they normally would so that's an interesting point for the Chiefs something that definitely works in their favor the Colts will probably counter with a quick passing game like they do with Andrew Luck and he's been really efficient I uh, love the way that they use the running back committee there in Indianapolis so it's good it, it could be a fun matchup we'll see what uh what what side of Mahomes shows up more frequently in that game uh let's see here what, what else do we have here Evan you do uh, a fantasy column weekly for Roto World 
And I love it. I, I, if you want to win money in Daily Fantasy, you have to check out Evan's weekly column. Um, do you have any hints for our listeners about anything spicy you might be cooking up for the next one in terms of a matchup they may be able to exploit in Daily Fantasy? Yeah, and I'd like to get your guys' feedback on this too. Um, <clears throat> oh, so man. When people ask the... me for fantasy feedback, <laughs> it never goes well. Okay, no, no, no. this is fine. It, it has nothing to do with fantasy. I want to get your guys' take on this like from uh, like a – an actual in-game, you know, what I think might happen in the game. So I went back and watched uh, the Eagles-Saints game, um, and it wasn't pretty for you guys. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't pretty. But uh, And, of course, watched the game uh, last week. I think that there is, like, an area, like, down the sideline where the defense is vulnerable. They they hit it a lot in the Saints game with Traquan Smith. They, They had a lot of double teams on Michael Thomas. Yeah, um, and Alvin. Yes, Alvin Kamara too. Yes, yes, they had guys around him all the time. But, you know, they hit it a lot with Traquan Smith. And then last week, Allen Robinson hit a lot of stuff down the sideline as well. I kind of think like Ted Ginn, and he's super cheap in, in Daily Fantasy. I think that he is a real interesting play. And no one has really paid any attention to Ted Ginn all year because he's been hurt. He came back in week 16. And, but when he when he played in week 16, he was second yeah. among the Saints receivers in, in routes run. He had eight targets. Uh, he was ahead. Of, he jumped right ahead of Traquan Smith. They, of course, rested Ted Ginn in week 17. Oddly played Michael Thomas, like 42 snaps. But I think that Ted Ginn, and he's I know he's minimum price on FanDuel. I haven't looked at his price on DraftKings yet. But I think that Ted Ginn is a guy that is going to get a lot of one-on-one opportunities you know, I, I know that Avante Maddox has been like a great success story. And but like I think that Ginn could, could run by Rasul Douglas. Like at the end of the day, Avante Maddox is 5'9", 184 with, you know, little tweezers for arms, <laughs> uh, as, as Kist has as Kist has noted. Do you think you guys think that like Ted Ginn could be a sleeper in this game? And then I also um, I, I hey, I like Golden Tate on the Eagles side. So uh, I'll take this real quick, Ben, and I'll kick it to you. Uh, yeah. I, I do believe so because the Eagles are kind of known to be a funnel defense and will funnel targets to the second wide receiver. That's even more amplified when you have a quality threat at that number two. And your number one threat is Michael Thomas, who the Eagles have shown a big interest in allocating resources towards with a lot of double teams and shaded coverage. And they're going to do a lot of things to help this Eagles secondary against Michael Thomas. And if they continue to do what they tried to do with Alvin Kamara by double teaming him, that means you're getting mad across the board with the other guys. And I would agree. Ted Ginn will burn you. So that would be something I would be very interested in. In the Saints game, the first time around, I thought Golden Tate was going to have a big game. Obviously, the offense had some challenges, as they said, integrating him in the offense. But that was a matchup that we highlighted heavily on the Kiston Solak show. So, Evan, I think you're on the right path there. Ben, would you agree with that? Or do you have anything to add there? Yeah, so it's interesting because... I don't expect them to come out with the same defensive game plan at all, because in case you didn't notice, they surrounded like 48 points with it or something. So probably we're going to have a shift in that regard. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that, Ben, was a lot of execution, though, because you saw guys like Dan Arnold burning Nigel Bradham, who's playing a lot better now and just like one on one straight up matchups. But I, I agree it won't be like wholesale the same, but I think it will be right. similar in the attention that they give some guys. Yeah. And, and, and I, what I will say is that since that game, they found more success against guys like uh, DeAndre Hopkins in the, in the Houston's game, playing a more quarter 
quarter, uh, quarter, quarter half coverage. Yeah. Cover six. And there's something they used against Odell Beckham with success earlier in the season as well. And so if they do want to appropriate resources to Michael Thomas again, I would expect that more so to be the way. And that really translates to how Maddox plays. It's worth noting Maddox only had 17 snaps in that Saints game because that was the game in which he went down. Uh, Maddox got burned so often deep in the Bears game because Maddox plays very aggressive downhill from off coverage because that's his strength. He's got good instincts. He's got fantastic quickness. As we saw now, he gets out of recovery position. And that was my biggest complaint off of his tape at Pitt, to be honest. So we've come like full circle where I was like, I don't know if he's going to be good this year because of this Pitt thing. And then he's been great all year. And then he struggled against the Bears because it's like some of the stuff you saw when he was with the Panthers. So that being said, I would expect them to come out more in that style of zone and, and a cone coverage, which is going to give you a little bit more help over the top. Against the Bears, they were so often single high with Corey Graham or Trey Sullivan, two players who just don't have the range to affect the boundary. And so I do think that there will be more uh, a better approach towards the deep ball and towards protecting the sideline. But at the same time, that's how you've always been in this Eagle defense under Jim Schwartz. That's always been the weakness. And they've been rallying up and they've been tackling much better. So obviously, like, you know, if we're talking about an Eagles win, then they probably were able to limit those explosive plays. But if I'm the Saints offense, even if I'm anticipating a change in approach, the deep outside is still where I anticipate going with the football. That's still where this Eagles defense has been weak since 2016 when Schwartz started here. So, yeah, I still think Ginn makes sense in terms of a game script in that regard. I'm just not as certain we're going to get a similar style of coverage as we got in the, in the first Saints game. There you go, Evan. Certified fresh advice from the Kissin Solak show to guide your fantasy decisions, even <laughs> though me and Ben are terrible at fantasy. That's all right. No, I appreciate it. Th- thanks for uh, letting me bounce that idea off you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Evan, before we go, are you comfortable enough? Have you done enough work to pick these four games quickly before we get out of here? Like against the spread or just picking yeah, straight just, up? Just straight up. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I'm going to go with the Cowboys pulling the upset. Uh, go with the Patriots, and yo, I mean, this is an Eagles show. Got to, got to, got to go with the birds. You know, fly Eagles, fly. Go Doug, go Dougie, go Dougie P, go Howie. <laughs> big balls, Doug. Yeah, big balls, Doug. Big dude, Nick. Yeah, there it is. Exactly. We're very genitalia focused here in Philadelphia. <laughs> I don't know why. Evan, I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen to all of your next guest appearances on podcasts, and I want to make sure that you pick the Eagles every single time. Just to hold you accountable. <laughs> Evan, uh, you got any last words for the gentle listeners before we go? You want to let them know where they can find you on social media and all your work? Yeah, at Evan Silva and um, rotoworld.com. And thanks again, guys, for having me. It was was fun. So thanks again to Evan Silva for joining us here on the Kistin Solak Show. Coming up next on Bleeding Green Nation, we've got a whole rack of preview shows for you. So make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app that you're using. Of course, all the five-star ratings and written reviews are really appreciated and helped us bump us up to the charts. We were up to 30 in Sports and Rec and iTunes the other day. So we really do appreciate the support from you guys. And we'll be dropping tons of content for you throughout the week as we preview this New Orleans Saints-Philadelphia Eagles divisional round matchup. So keep it tuned here because we all we got... We all we need, Fly Eagles Fly. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters. Regional grocery stores we love. Tennessee Batman. Homeowners associations. 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Forecast. It's not Voltron.